the Emerging Church. And like I told us before, from the very beginning, I tried to define the church for you. And I'm sure you can still remember that the church is simply the person or persons called out of a particular system. The religious belief, the cultural belief, that this calling is from the Lord for whatever reasons intends to call you, to express him, to reveal him to creation. And I try to make us understand that the beginning of this call actually was Abraham. Abraham ran down to get in one child. From that one child, got two children. And from those two children, got 12 tribes. And then we had a corporate church in Egypt that was called out to the wilderness. And we had Pastor Moses with them in the wilderness which actually means the house of God. The church is the house of God. And uh, we move down to what I would rather call the second church. And I try to make you understand that the church that came out of Egypt is the first church, which is the Passover church. And then we have the second church, which is the Pentecostal church. And I made you to understand that the Pentecostal church is an offshoot of the first church. Uh, because we find that the first Apostles or the four disciples of the Pentecostal church, as it were, even those who followed Jesus, they were those who were formerly Pharisees, scribes, and all of that. For example, um, Matthew was a scribe. Is that all right? Task collector. You see? So, the people he used in establishing his first church were those who were on the other side. But you see, so they were called out of that system into another system. Is that alright? And so they formed the new church, which is the Pentecostal church. And the reality of the Pentecostal church was the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so I tried to establish those foundations so that you can follow. And then we come into what I call, yesterday also I went a little bit deep, trying to explain one or two things. I'm going to read the scripture again to tie it up for you, how that you, even in this present order, from um, Act 15, when we talk about the tabernacle of David, remember that? We talked about the tabernacle of David, and I tried to explain to you that basically the tabernacle of David that was falling down that is rebuilt is God bringing man back again to function as a priest and as a king. Because when David brought the ark, he kept it behind his house, and there was no priest with him, and he was ministering to the ark which was actually the function of the priest. And then no man, not even God, rebuke him for doing that. Hallelujah. But if you read through the scriptures, you find that there are, especially the Old Testament, there are some kings who go into the temple to do the work of the priesthood, either they were struck dead by God or something like that. Have you read some of those things? Some were able to strike lepros. But David pioneered another move. Because he's like Christ. He pioneered another move. And that new move he pioneered was that you can function as a king and as a priest. And so, in Revelation, the Bible tells us precisely that through the blood we have been made prince and kings. So, David typify what we are supposed to be today. In the order of Melchizedek. And you see, Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He was a king of Salem and the priest of the Most High. And that is why we are in the order of Melchizedek. So this new order is an order wherein you have access to God as an individual. You can approach God. You can talk to God. And you can function as a king which has to do with authority. The authority you carry today can only be executed through the priesthood. And that is why you find that in the book of Revelation, the Bible said the priest do reign with him. Now, priests don't reign. It is kings that reign. But the issue is, you can't be a king in this new order without being a priest. Because if you are a king without being a priest, you are going to be a despot. What I mean by it, you know, a butcher in our country. You're just going to be like that. You're going to have so much authority but no compassion. But the throne of God is established on righteousness, which has to do with compassion and mercy. And if you to understand the office of the priesthood, you read Hebrews chapter 5. The Bible said, have compassion on the ignorant who are out of the way. So your rulership is not with authority to crush people's head, but to bring them as a shepherd. Are you following this? 
He gave us a clear picture of what happened when the people came to him, how that David was able to raise them from the level they were. They were migrating to him because he had a shepherding spirit. He was though a king, but a shepherding spirit. And that is the kind of life God intends you to live. In this new order, in this new church that God is raising, you have all the authority, you have all the power, but honestly, you are a shepherd. And I'm going to make you see that. Uh, somebody will ask me a question and he said, I, I, he wish what happened in the book of Acts chapter 5 can be repeating itself in the church today. How that, uh, you know, Ananas and Sapphira, the lie to the Holy Spirit. And then Peter just simply said, uh, you know, why do you have to lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to God? And he fought and dead. And he was so excited that the wife came and said, the feet of those who take away your husband and the woman slumped too. You know, they felt that was a show of power. No. That was a show of power in ignorance because Peter himself did not understand the spirit that was in them. How many of you understand that even in the book of Luke, when they refused him to enter a city, the disciples said, permit us to call fire from heaven to consume them. Remember that? What was the reply? He said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are made of. Now Peter could do that. He was just coming out. He was still raw. He has not truly understood yet the function of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was using the power without using the mercy aspect of the Holy Spirit. But I'm sure after that he repented. I just want to think so. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so let's progress now. Now I would like us to read the scripture here in the book of Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, let's look at verse 31. Talking about the third church now. Uh, from... The second church, we're in the third church, the third dimension of God's move, and progressively. And don't forget the statement I made, God is not opening up another chapter without the people to first showcase what that chapter is going to be. So the 21 in the upper room demonstrated what Pentecost is going to be, before other people begin to follow. Is that alright? And so if there is going to be any move in terms of immortality, in terms of whatever thing we are going to call the third day dimension, there are going to be some people that God is going to raise. Literally on the face of the air, they have to demonstrate what the fullness of the third day will be. The desire for the people is when they see you live this life that ordinarily is not possible with human, they want to desire the God that you have. If you look at that, you find the same principle in the negative side. When people are so powerful in traditional setting, you see people coming to find out how they got their power. Am I right? That is just it. They want to find out how did they got this power? How did they, they can pay anything to get the same power. And that's exactly what it means when the Bible says people shall come and say, show us your God. That is the third dimension. That is not happening today in Pentecost. Because even people reject you. Because what it really takes for them to come to you have not been revealed. Are you still there? Now, sorry, uh, let me use on the negative side. Not even negative, but just permit me. Because I know a lot of persons may not want to, maybe, they don't like to think about it. But I want to use it for illustration. Um, we know of TV Joshua in this country. And we know of some other persons. You understand that? But let's take, for instance, TV Joshua. Let's take, for instance, Ben Hinn. Uh, who again? Okay, Chris. Okay, fine. But practically, I, I think I look at the level of that of TV Joshua. Is that okay? Now, if you have, as it were, now listen to me. I'm not saying whether it's positive or negative spirit is using. That's not the issue. I'm giving you what is happening and what you should be thinking about, like he was trying to say. Is that okay? If you have such a person, two in a city, in this country. I am thinking that, I mean, for every city, you have two of him. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Good. I am thinking that even those who are worshipping idols, will literally throw them away and go and look for you. Am I correct? That is the thing I'm talking about. Because sonship is not one man business. Now, what you see happening is prefiguring of what is going to happen. It's not going to be one man spotted in Lagos, one spotted in, uh, in uh, Calabar or something. No, everywhere you're going to find sons of God in manifestation, revealing the same power, the same glory. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's move on here. Are we then Luke 13? 31. 
The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out. He was speaking to Jesus. And depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox. <laughs> it's like Jesus sometimes was rude. Eh? Well, maybe, I don't know. But he was only describing who Herod was. Fox were crafty, cunning animals. Okay, he said, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I shall be perfected. Did you get that? I do what? I cast out devils, I do cures today and tomorrow, but on the third day, I shall be what? Wow. So what is, what is it saying? This is the three dimension of the church operation. We are presently functioning on the today and tomorrow. The tomorrow, you see, watch it. Today was when, before he went into glory. Tomorrow is when he entered into glory and the spirit came and the cause was born. But on the third day is his body, the corporate body that shall be perfected. When he say on the third day I shall be perfected, he was referring to you and I. Because we complete him. Are you there with me? He is the head, we are what? The body. We complete him. And so the third dimension is when the fullness of that which Christ represents shall be made manifest on the face of the earth. And that is the third day church. Hallelujah. That is the third day church. It talks about, you know, the word complete. Some of you don't get too excited about Greek, but some of us can't do without it. The word perfected actually means teleo. It means to complete. So what was saying? Today, tomorrow, I am not complete. But on the third day, I shall be complete. How is it complete? Without what is not complete. Because he is a head. A head without a body is not a complete head. Are you still there with me? Now, the glory of his own person shall be manifested from the head to the body. That is why the government is not upon the head, but upon the shoulder. Now, he gives us wisdom to rule. The third day church is a ruling church. The third day church is a power church. The third day church is the fullness of the expression of God on the face of the earth. Are you still there with me? So the government is upon his shoulder and upon his head. But the head controls the shoulder. Because wisdom and what the body needs to function come from the head. Are you still there? Hallelujah. Now you see the same thing find in the book of Hosea. The third day church. Go to Hosea chapter 6 and verse number 1. You can just write them down so that maybe we'll do some reading because of time. You read all of that yourself. Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 and, one and 2. And he said, Come, let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. And he has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day we will raise up and we shall live where? In his sight. In his sight means in his presence. And that the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Hallelujah. The third day is when the church comes to God's presence. As it were. The full dominion is restored on the third day. And that is the third day church that is presently approaching. The third day church is a tabernacle church. Just like the first church was the Passover church, the second church was the Pentecostal church, the third day church is a tabernacle church. And what does that mean? God being with man. Is that okay? Now see how it works. The Bible says, Joseph prospered because God was with him. I want you to know that. The prosperity of Joseph in Egypt, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of famine and difficulties, but because God was with Joseph, he prospered. That is the tabernacle experience. Hallelujah. So when the Bible talks about tabernacles, he's talking about God dwelling with us. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Okay, now, that is precisely what the third day church is going to be. And see how Nicodemus said the same thing to Jesus. And he said, no man can do these things except God be with him. So we are talking about not a diagonalized mentality of worship. What do I mean by that? God is up in heaven. You are done here. You need things. You ask him. Right? 
There are dichotomy of existence, duality of existence. God is far away, you are far away from God. But the third day church is the one that the consciousness will don't know you. That wherever you are, the Lord is there. And just like he was saying, I like the testimony. You don't carry a consciousness of how you are going to pray to get things done. You move into an atmosphere and the presence of the Lord shows up and things are done. Because you know within you, there is this Father God residing in your life. Can you ever picture the type of prayer Jesus prayed? Hmm? Sometimes we say, Father, for their sake, that they might believe. In other words, he didn't need to pray. He would just simply say, do whatever he needs to do. You understand that? But for them to believe, I am praying. I want you to think about that kind of lifestyle. That wherever you are, anything you lay your hands on works. Sometimes people staying around you, even without you praying, sicknesses goes. Just because they are around you. Is that alright? That is the third day dimension of what we are talking about. You see what is going on today. If we want to talk of prayers, we sweat and, uh, you know, washing and, and praying. <laughs> you, see, you see what I mean? We, we sweat, we do all manner of things that sometimes we don't still get results. It is the Pentecostal experience. It's the Pentecostal. But God wants us to have a move. And I'm saying this because it could be futuristic and it could be now. The reason is God can use you to demonstrate anything that he wants to do tomorrow. You could be privileged to do that. Grace is not a thing of the past. Though Jesus came with grace and truth, but you must understand that even Noah find grace in his days. Even before Jesus showed up, Noah find grace. So grace is not a New Testament order. It's not a New Testament principle. Grace has always been there. Are you still there? Now, if we talk about immortality, it's already showcased for us by the life, the type of uh, Enoch. That is far back before Jesus came. But that is a demonstration of the third day church. Are you still there? Why do you think we have healings ministry going on today? For people, God is doing all of this and raising people. And he will continue to raise people into these ministries to draw attention to himself. Did in Egypt. Is that okay? Why do you think God did what he did in Egypt? And he didn't bring the same thing to the wilderness. Because in the kingdom you don't need all of those stuff. You just live because he lives with you. A man who comes to the fullness of the kingdom realization in the third day tabernacle principle doesn't have to talk about sickness. Because the Lord is with me. Are you still there with me? So you see, what he did in Egypt, he didn't do in the wilderness. But because of the nature of the people, he did something else in the wilderness, different from what he did in Egypt. But the key thing is, he did all of what he did in Egypt for the people to believe that another God exists, different from the gods that were in Egypt. And if you watch it principally, all the miracles performed were targeted as specific gods that were existing in Egypt. All the miracles. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Okay. Now, so, let me just build up a little bit. I want you to catch those things as we move on to the third day church, both in experience and in understanding. Now, I made you to understand that all of this we were talking about have their offshoot from the previous church. So we need to see that of that. So you just write down Romans chapter 11. Uh, Paul was speaking to the Gentile walls. How that should not boast against Israel will falling away. And all of that and all of that. But verse 17 is the key thing we look for. He said, and if some of the branches are broken off, which have to do with Israel. And thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. And with them partakers of the roots and of the fatness of the olive tree. Both know that there boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Hallelujah. Now, the root there is basically Abraham. Alright? Here, Paul was speaking to the Gentile community, and say, you don't have to be high-minded against the Jews who are falling out of faith. 
Because of unbelief. Is that okay? They falling out of faith and you were brought in. Is that alright? Remember we are dealing with the Gentile nations in relation to Acts 15. But you must know where we are connected and how we got connected. Is that alright? So now we are connected to the root of the tree. We are not just connected to the branches as it were. Because the branches of the tree has to do with the house of Israel. Because of unbelief we are plucked off. And we were grafted in and we become branches to the root. And the root is Abraham. Are you see that? That may be too far from you. But you see, in the true sense, and let me leave that. I just wanted to talk about Shem before. The man that possessed Canaan. Hmm? But just in case, you see, the true grandfather of the Jewish people is not necessarily Abraham. Right? It goes back to one among the third children of Noah. And basically he was supposed to be the Melchizedek because he was the one that was resident in Canaan. And now when God was promising Canaan to Abraham, he has to make him to acknowledge the one that was resident as the king there. That is why he paid tight to Melchizedek. And so one of the things like I often told my people is if you want to have some of the promises God has made to you, you have to have somebody you look onto because God only positions people before you come in. Your time is to acknowledge the higher authority that God has ordained so that you can assess your own promises. Promises were made to Abraham, but they never showed up until you paid tithe to Melchizedek. And if you look at the next verse, the Bible says, after this thing, the Lord appeared. I mean, the word of the Lord appeared. The word of the Lord was not his spoke. That was the first time the word, the word of the Lord is used. Now, what is the word of the Lord in the Bible? It's Jesus Christ. So after Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek, Jesus showed up to him. And the promises that he had for him were made manifest. And he did that so that he cannot have access to Canaan that was promised to him. Why? Because somebody was already there. And the same thing you find that before Moses could go into ministry, God sent him to Jethro. And some of us confused Jethro to be a heathen king. He wasn't a heathen king. Jethro was one of the grandsons of Abraham. Hallelujah. He was from Keturah. That's why the Bible referred to him as a prince of Media. Media was one of the sons of Keturah. So Jethro was actually uh, a concubine child of Abraham. Are you there with me? So you see, you can't really step into full realization of even the calling upon your life until you find a spiritual father that you can relate to. And so Abraham can't even do that until he finds Melchizedek, who was already a king in Canaan. Are you following this? So you must understand, there has to be an old shift from somewhere. You must connect back to the original source. And here the Bible is saying, we, the Gentile nation, which actually formed the new order, if I may use the word now, the Pentecostal realm, we have our root in who? In Abraham, who was supposed to be the root to the very tree where the Jews came in from. But because of unbelief, the Bible says they were plucked out and were what? Grafted in. Now so, when we are crafted in, where do we get our life from? From the root. That is why by faith, you are a child of who? Oh, come on. Are you following this? I want you to understand. So now, <clears throat> excuse me, we are moving. Now go down to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. And I read just verse 8. How is it going to come to be? How will the new order come into existence? How will the third church be manifested? When will it be manifested? I won't answer the when because I don't know. But I will answer the how. Isaiah 66, are you there? He said, who had had such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion traveled, she brought forth her children. What does that mean? If in the normal circumstance, when you plant a tree, it takes some days for the, or some months and days for the, 
They plan to grow up, to bear fruit, and all of that. Is that okay? And there you harvest. Now the question is, how could it be that the nation can be born in one day? It's alright. Now, is God saying that is not possible? No, that's not exactly what he's saying. He's giving you the picture of what happened in Egypt. A whole nation was born one day. Exodus 12. Do you remember that? Which is what you call what? The Passover. A whole community was born one day. That's what he said. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her what? Her children. How will the new order come sin or be made manifest? The same principle. There is going to be a kind of judgment upon Babylon. Like you were saying. Just like what judgment on Egypt and the very children of God in Egypt were released one day to form another community in the wilderness. Am I talking to somebody here? Everything we are in now, which cannot fit in properly into God's mindset for the ages shall be dealt with. That is why I say judgment will begin from where? From the house of God. And the judgment is not to kill the people, but to destroy the things that is holding them captive for making it impossible for them not to migrate. Are you there? So can a nature be born one day? The answer says yes. <laughs> when will this be? I don't know. For when the fullness of time was come in Egypt, God visited the children of Israel. According to his promise to Abraham, your children shall be in Egypt for 400 years. So when the 400 years was complete, God showed up by sending Moses. He will not beat his time, the time is in his hand. When Pentecost day was come, before it really showed up, the children of Israel, the ignorant apostles at that time, sorry, I'm not insulting them, they came to Jesus. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Malpik. <laughs> they were not thinking about the word, they were thinking about Israel. Will you restore the kingdom, therefore, to Israel when you come again? And what did Jesus say? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that are in the hands of God. It's not for you to know. But the Bible said, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Why did he use the word fully come? Because after Passover, there have to be 50 days before Pentecost. Pentecost 50. Is that okay? Now Jesus died, and that was the Passover experience, because he was a lamb. Passover has to do with the lamb. 1 Corinthians 5. He is our Passover lamb. So when he was sacrificed, the Bible says he rose and he was teaching the people for how many days? 40 days upon the face of the earth. After he finished teaching the 40 days, when he rose, he told them to go back to Jerusalem from the mountain. And the Bible says the journey was a Sabbath day's journey. <laughs> Sabbath day's journey means how many days? Seven days. And so in the truth, when he said wait in the upper room, they have to be in the upper room for three days. You take your three days after the seven days journey from the place of ascension, you get ten days. You add your ten days to the forty day we're teaching you, what do you get? Fifty days. What is fifty? Pentecost. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, very accurate, the Holy Ghost came. Are you following this? Some of you are just looking at me. Okay. So what am I saying here? The timing is in the house of God. That we can't explain. But we know for sure it will come to pass. Are you following what I'm saying now? Hallelujah. So can a country be born in one day? Absolutely true. How do we know? We find out in Egypt. The whole nation of Israel was given birth to one day. God simply said, if you don't release them today, your firstborn begin to die. As soon as that happened, he said, let my people go. Everybody begins to move. You remember that? Okay. And one of the things again is, is that's going to bring this new bed. Is the gospel that we preach. When Moses went to Egypt, there was a proclamation. Let my people go. That was an order. That was an instruction. Not only to the authority there, but even to the hearing of those who must go. If there has to be a migration from the realm we are to the third dimension, God has to raise a voice that will begin to make that proclamation. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Azusa experience we keep talking about in our preaching 
were factored by people who had a consciousness who could possibly be. And they gave themselves to prayer. In other words, they pulled into the realm of spirit. But before they could do that, I have the conviction God intended to do that at that particular season. So he spoke to certain people and they have to agree with the will of God at that moment. And they go into prayers and the Holy Spirit came. And that is where Pentecost was born. Is that okay? There was a waiting of the 120. Pentecost was born. If there have to be a betting of the third day church, some persons must come into agreement as well. And make a proclamation on the face of the earth of the new season of God. And fail to begin to enter into so many people. Then we are creating a climate of faith and belief into what God needs to do next. And when that begins to happen, I tell you something, things will begin to shift on the face of the earth. People will migrate to another level. These things we are fighting with every day will no longer be there. Because it's going to be a new season. This is what apostolic ministry is truly all about. The apostolic and the prophetic, they must come into the timing and the season of what God intends to do. And proclaim into the atmosphere. Make proclamation into the air. And the entire church body will begin to look onto this new vibration. And there will be a movement in the spirit. Shaking the foundations that are not in place. So that the reality of what God has in mind will be made manifest. God is looking for the people right now. Because a new season is a new day. I was so excited when Leonard Robinson. Remember that guy on Facebook? Started a walk recently. Where does he even base? The Bahamas or somewhere? I can't remember exactly now. But they just invited me to join. They call it Kingdom Vision Ministers, uh, Kingdom Vision International Ministries. You know, all those on that site, they preach just nothing about the kingdom of God. It's quite exciting. Every discussion, they are just saying, listen, 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 we've got it wrong all this while. There's one message that Jesus preached, and that's the message of the kingdom. We must come back. I am so excited about that network right now. And people who understand, I will know some of us that would talk about this, they keep inviting. More than three persons have invited. God logged in, have my own page there and whatever, you know. But what I'm trying to say is, a consciousness is dawning on people. That means the hour that we are, God is really speaking to minds and say, look, there is something beyond what we are doing. God is already speaking. Are you still there with me? And so when we come into that understanding, into the tabernacle experience that has to do with the manifesting of God's kingdom, all the things we are begging God for, we no longer beg them. Because he simply told us, seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be what are dead. We don't begin to look for the additions, people. We just need to be focused on this God. We need to be focused on what he has to do. Okay, look at what Jesus, our disciples, some of the apostles the other day, when you went out and you took nothing with you, lack ye anything? And they said, nothing. Why do we do ministry and see lack? Because we are not in focus. With one hand, we believe God can help us. With the other hand, we are looking at man to come and support us. And the Bible says, he that has his mind on the man, he that put his trust, his confidence on man, he will definitely fail. We will pray, God, I believe, I trust. And we're looking to the congregation and we're looking at somebody who can just quickly approach. Take your phone and say, Bros, <laughs> your member, Bros, <laughs> you there else? <laughs> say, I'm at home. Say, I wanted to see you. What do you want to see him for? You want to discuss change? But if you just pray, God will supply all your need. Hallelujah. We are people who are like, in fact, we have dual personality. A, mind, a dual personality is a mind that has a double mind. That's it's somebody who has two minds. And it's, it's, it's a problem for somebody to have two minds. And you know, a double-minded person, let him know he can receive nothing from God. What does that mean? You are double-minded, meaning you have two minds, because your mind is finally your soul. Is that okay? Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, your intellect, and your emotions. So if you are double-minded, that means you have two souls. And a soul is the expression of the personality of a being. So, so many of us have two personalities. <laughs> and the Bible says, if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. That's why I told us, it was a Sunday, I said, you don't need to be asking for a clean heart, because you can have a clean heart and still be double-minded. What you need is a pure heart. 
Because a pure in heart shall sin in heart. Mm. Are you sitting there with me? <laughs> when you are pure, you are single unto God. You know God is. Hallelujah. He that cometh to the Lord will believe that God is. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Third day church. So move on now a little bit. Uh, do we need to really pick this? How, how, how much time does he have? Come on, help me. Are we still there? Fifteen? Okay, okay. Alright, okay, I'm going to skip some scriptures that I need to give to you. Maybe we'll have some full seminars on that. Now, if you look at, if you look at, um, we read Deuteronomy 33, remember that? The Bible says God came from Mount Sinai and he came with 10,000 and 1,000 of his saints. Remember that? Remember that? Now, if you come to Jude 14, you're going to find the same prophecy from Enoch. And I believe this is directly connected to the third church, to the movement of the church. God doesn't just take a people. Now, I want to show you an example. But you book going to Jude. Jude is just one book. Jude 14, and we're going to read 14, 15. Now, if you remember what happened when we went to enter Canaan. Hmm? Now, I think two tribes already got their portion. And they went to cross or something like that. And, and I think it was Joshua that said, no, you can't do that. You can't possess your land until your brothers cross over. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Fine, that is what I'm talking about. That is the nation. Because if those two have gone over, these other people have not gone over, the nation that was born in Egypt was not now complete in Canaan. That is where you are connected. You're talking about love. That is why your brother's faith is connected to your faith. Because one of the reasons we cannot fully manifest now as well, other than God using sport and pocket people to demonstrate what he has in mind, is because our brothers are not moving as they should move. Now, you watch what happened, even on the way. When Miriam sinned, what happened? The camp has to remain for seven days. Are you getting what I'm talking about? And so when they left Egypt, it was a whole company of people. There was nobody left behind. Therefore, if God is moving people from Pentecost into Tabernacles, nobody's going to be left behind in Pentecost. There has to be a complete shift. And this is where your brother's faith is connected to your faith, whether you like it or not. You see the same principle in Hebrews. He said, they without us cannot be made perfect. So don't rejoice in what you think you know, and your brother doesn't know it. Because he's delaying your movement into full manifestation. God will need a crop of people, a sizable number of people to showcase in this move. Hallelujah. So here is Jude 14. And Enoch also the seven from Adam prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with how many? Ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. To convince all that are ungodly. Look at the assignment. Look at the assignment. To execute judgment upon all. And to convince all. Convince all that are ungodly. Upon them. Among them of all their ungodly deeds. Which they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches. Which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is the assignment. For the third day church. Are you still there with me? Now, if you, if you, just write it down. If you, I'm going to read the scripture in Isaiah 68. I'll just look at this. He's talking about 10,000 of his saints. Isaiah 68, if you look at, uh, what verse is this now? Let me see if I can quickly pick it up for you. But it's not talking about God moving and his, his chariots. Okay, verse 17, Isaiah 68, verse 17. The Bible says, the chariots of God. I mean, Psalm 68. I'm sorry, please. Psalm 68. Are we there in Psalm 68? It says, verse 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. What does that tell you? The chariots of God. It's 20,000 and even thousands. It's not just going back. Remember, 
Thousands is actually a figure of the day of the Lord. That is why he talks about reigning with him a thousand years. Thousand years is not an arithmetical computation. But it's a figure of the Lord because God deals in thousands. So, he said, he's coming with 10,000 of his sin. In the book of Deuteronomy 33, he came with 10,000 of his sins. How many people left Egypt? They were up to a million plus. Am I right? But God referred to them as what? Thousands of saints. Deuteronomy 33. In Jude 14, 10,000 of his saints. In Psalm 68, verse 17, the chariots of the Lord. And that's the most exciting aspect. What does it mean a chariot? A chariot is a carrier of the warrior. So when he said the chariots of the Lord are 20,000 and even thousands and the Lord God is among them. He simply said, we are going to be the carrier of God's presence upon the face of the earth. Did you understand what I'm talking about? God writes in us. We are God's vehicle of expression. That is what he means and that is what he has in mind. And we do that to execute judgment according to Jude 15. Upon their godly, upon the things that are not of the things of the Lord. Are you following this? The chariots of God are 20,000 and even thousands. And the Lord God is with them or among them. The word with normally is meta in the Greek, which means in union with them. I mean, the church that is imagined is a church that is going to be the carrier of God's presence all over the world. Hallelujah. That's why I was giving the illustration. If we are people like that, for instance, let's take this to be literal number. 20,000 and even thousands of such manifestation upon the face of the earth. My brother, I tell you the truth. You are going to be seeing men literally trooping to the church. How many people travel all over the world to come to Lagos? That gives you the picture of what I have in mind. Are you getting that? So if you have that mind, our airport will blow some. Money will come into this country. People coming to pilgrimage. Mm-mm. I'm not talking about Israel going to see some stones where they said somebody died. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when people appear to see God at work. Are you hearing this? And he said the chariot of God, that means the vehicle of God. They are 20,000 and even thousands. What that means is you can't number them. So the third church is not a one man show thing. It's not just one pastor, one bishop. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the Lord coming with ten thousands of his angels. Which are how to do with his sons. And the assignment is there for us. Hallelujah. Amen. So let me see if I can round up now. Let me show you precisely. Revelation 12. And then we should be should be parking, maybe. Revelation 12. If you look at from verse 1 to we're just going to stop in Oh my goodness. Let me stop in verse number. Okay. I'll just move on a little bit. Revelation 12. Stop in number 5. Verse number 5. I'm stopping. Stand 1 to 5. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of 12 stars. This is basically the church. You can take it to mean the cold church. Which has to do with the. Initially, it was supposed to be the Jewish church as it were. But now you can find that it has to do also with this present order. Because when we talk about 12 stars, the authority or the government of God is actually have to do with the apostles. Right? It seems to be the head of this particular woman. Is that alright? Come on, are we following this thing? If you go back to Judaism, is the 12 tribe of Israel. Then if you come down to Pentecost, is the 12 apostles. Alright? That is just what it means. The moon is the core religion of Judaism, if you will. The moon takes its reflection from the sun. Is that alright? Amen? Now when he said it was clothed with the sun, that means the sun is her covering. That is the way it's supposed to be. Now this woman, which has to do with the church, is putting religion on the feet. Which is the moon. Because the moon takes its light from the sun. And the sun is Christ. Son of righteousness. Is that okay? Are you following me? 
Okay, now. So when this woman begins to have the moon under her feet, that means religion is being worked upon. It's dominating religion. And the authority of this woman, which is this church, is the 12 star, which is the government of God. Hallelujah. Are we there? Okay. And then, and she being which I cry, traveling, pain, and pain to be delivered. And there be another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great and red dragon having seven hands and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And he still drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and he cast them to the earth. And the dragons stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, to, for to deliver her child as soon as it was born. Now verse number five is the more interesting aspect. And she brought forth a child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and a child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, there are so many things I can explain about it. The head of this dragon, the dragon basically is the Roman Empire and all those emperors there. Entire apological structure, but I don't want to go into all of that. Seven heads, I know. The seven uh, government, I know. But we don't want to go into all that. Like one of the seven horns there is the Austrian regime, you know. They are all there, but I don't want to go into all of that because we're interested in the man-child and the woman. Is that okay? Now this woman wants to give birth to the man-child. And that there's a system I want to swallow up this child. Is that okay? And now, the Bible tells us that this woman brought forth finally a man-child. And what was the responsibility of this man-child? Is to rule the nations. Now, understand this. It is not the woman that is going to rule. It is the child that is going to rule. That's what I'm interested in. The authority is not vested on the woman. Though the woman gave birth to the child. Pentecost may be good as it is, but out of Pentecost shall emerge the ruling authority. Are you following what I'm talking about? The new order that has the authority to rule the nations is going to come out of the present church order. Just like Pentecost came out of the Judaism, even so, the Pentecost, I mean, the, the third day church is going to emerge. Out of the Pentecostal church. With authority to rule the nations. Now, this is part of what I was trying to express to you. The world rule, and then they want to say, was cut up to the throne of God because of the trouble. Uh, sometimes we think the throne has to do up in heaven. We have nothing to do with that. Because if it is so, then you cannot have access to the throne to find help in times of need. Do you go to the throne? Come on, talk to me. You are asked to come with boldness. Hebrews 4 verse 16. Say, let us have come boldly unto the throne of grace. Am I right? The throne is not up. But it's a place in God. Hallelujah. Okay now. So he says, shall rule. The word rule there is utterly to tend as a shepherd. To supervise. To feed. Like you feed cattle. So ruling the nations doesn't mean we are going to break their head with the rod. Some of you want to have some rod in your hand. Smash people's head. That is why even your preaching in church should be that of a rule in terms of breaking people's head. That is the kind of message you preach you are actually damning the souls of the people. But rulership of the man-child is that of shepherding. That is why pastors have to be sure of what they are doing. For you to function as the man-child, you must have the heart of a shepherd. Very accurate and very important. Hallelujah. To tend as a shepherd. To supervise. How concerned are we? What are we saying? Remember, the third day church is going to supervise in nations. Not just an individual. Understand that? That is also why your ministry as a pastor must not be limited to just a geographical setting. Because we're talking about nations. And the word nations is ethnos, which means races or ethnic groups, if you will. That means you are supposed to influence diversity of ethnic compositions with your ministry. The new order is not a localized setting. Are you still there with me? Because remember this, remember this. Prophets are not, I mean, are without honor in their own cities. Do you know that? So if your mindset is your ministry to localize your ministry, definitely you will not be able to do exactly what God intends you to do. Because there's a common saying in English, say familiarity breeds contents. 
that means people look down on certain individual when they are too familiar with them. Like our brother was sharing, when you carry this might, there are people who might receive and be more blessed outside of your vicinity. Can you imagine the question they were asking Jesus? Is it not the capital son? Is it not with us? Hallelujah. Because Jesus had made table for some of them to buy. He was really a carpenter. He made tables, he made chairs, he made bed. They bought from him. When is this one coming from? Is it not the guy who bought bed from the other day? Are you still there with me? So, what are we talking about? We are talking about ruling the nations. I remember even Jesus said the same thing. Lord, I'm with you. Go here into all the world, all the nations, and make what? Disciples. He specifically told them. The man child is going to do the same thing. Hallelujah. The word rod actually is a stick or a wand as a cordial, a cane or a button of royalty. A scepter. What is the scepter of the Lord? The scepter of righteousness. Now, the rod of royalty, that is so important. See, if a king walks in here now, he can just hold one simple thing in his hand and just be turning it and you are buying down. He may not even use it on you. Why? Because he carried the baton of what? Of royalty. Hmm? He carries the baton of royalty. It is with that baton of royalty that you shepherd people. Hallelujah. Are you sitting there with me? And get me clear. It's not to say we have to carry one stick in our hand. But it's already in your hands. Because you are born into a royal family. Come on. Am I talking to someone? And that is why the Bible said they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What does that mean? There's expression of the authority of God passing through your hands. Glory to God. So I want you to understand it. It's very crucial. Now let's quickly round up this with Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. And we'll close from there. Hallelujah. The third day charge. The emerging order. I'm just trying to describe to you what the third day church is going to do, how it's going to function, and what characterizes the third day church. It's not just Pentecost, we're moving beyond Pentecost. Hallelujah. Isaiah 62, are we together? I'm reading it from verse 1. For Zion's sake, what is Zion? The church, will I not hold my peace? For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until the righteousness thereof goes forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamb that burn it. Where is the righteousness and this lamb going to burn and arise into? To the nations. Amen? Are you there with me? And the Gentiles, now you can see the connection, shall see thy righteousness. What does that mean? The unbelieving world shall see your righteousness. Now the scepter of thy kingdom is what? Righteousness. Are you still there? And all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal deadening in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hezeba. And the land be all For the Lord delight in thee. And the land shall be married. Ooh. Hallelujah. Listen to this. For as a young man marrieth a virgin. So shall thy sons marry thee. And the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So shall thy God rejoice over thee. I mentioned this a little bit. When he say your land shall no longer be desolate. What it means is, your land shall be married. In a prophetic language, it means you are no longer going to be a widow. Amen? Only widow do not have a husband that provides for them. In quotes. By implication, with what God intends to do, you can no longer be a widow. Are you listening to me? God is bringing us a place where we are going to be Married as it were to him, and he who is married to a man, the man is responsible to provide for the woman. Hallelujah. Are you there? He said, Your life shall no longer be forsaken. Now, but what I'm interested in when he said Biola means he's gonna be get married. 
You are going to come to the place of a new relationship with God. That's Biola. You're getting married. You are no longer desolate. Is that okay? And because you are married to the Lord, He is going to provide. Can you remember what God was speaking to the children of Israel in the book of Hosea? So when I brought you out from your blood, you know, you understand that? I washed you, I clothed you, I perfumed you, I rubbed oil on you. It's like you're talking about a baby that was born. The, the nurses understand better. When a, a child is newly born, they do work of midwifery on them by cleaning up the child, rubbing oil on the child. And the God was describing that to Israel. What was he saying? When you came out of Egypt, you were nothing. I cleaned you up, even in the wilderness. And I brought you to myself. And you begin to see other God. And you forsook me. Who is your husband? Who was doing this to you? I clothed you. You forsook me. That's what he was telling them in Hosea. Is that okay? Here again, the Lord is saying the same thing to you today. No matter your condition, God is going to get you cleaned out. Hallelujah. You will no longer remain forsaken. You shall be married. Hallelujah. And he that has come to marry you has all that it takes to provide for your needs. Can I hear you like that? Amen to that. Glory to God. For as a virgin, I mean, a man married a virgin, so that your sons marry thee. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, listen to this. God is speaking to Zion, which is the church. Is that okay? Remember, man, Zion is the highest peak we can ever attain to spiritually. But here he said, the Lord shall marry thee. The word marry there, from the primitive means to master, hence to marry, to have dominion over, be a husband. Right? Now listen closely to what I'm about to say. Who is truly going to be this husband? Remember, I said in Revelation 12, the one to rule is who? Is the son, not the woman who is the mother. Okay, here the Bible is saying the sons shall marry thee. Now, what does that mean? The word sons is not just a child, the word is been d a n e, and it means a builder of the family name. Hallelujah! Are you there with me? A builder of the what? The family name. Get this right. Do you know I can give two examples in the Bible of the builder of the family name? One of them is David. You can't mention Jesse without David. David is the builder of the family name of the household of Jesse. Are you still there with me? Your son shall marry thee. A people who shall be equipped to not only provide for the needs of the church, but to make the church understand God's mind and where God is taking the church to. The builder of the family name. This is the true apostolic ministry. Your son shall marry thee. Are you following what I'm talking about here? And again, I have to make you see this. Other than just being a builder of the family name, you need to understand this. To master, to rule. Now watch this. When the Bible says, your son shall marry thee, understand the fact of what I said before. A man that gets married to a woman is taking responsibility. Hallelujah. That means, listen, God is saying, church, the people you are betting now shall rise into the place of responsibility. And they will in turn come to savage the foolishness that is in the church. And that is why you can see precisely that even though Mary was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus, Jesus became her Lord. Your son shall marry thee. Jesus began the one to provide. Because history even had it that Joseph died at the age of when, when Jesus was 15 years old. Joseph died. And as a firstborn with carpentry, he was providing for the immediate need of the family. The physical dimension. That is Jesus. Your son shall marry thee. Joseph was out of the way. Was the husband to marry? Now, uh, who is this? Jesus took over the responsibility. And that's exactly the picture we are seeing here. When the Bible says your son shall marry thee, it means you're talking about those who are grown up who can take responsibility. In the third day church, if you are not one who can take responsibility, you can fit in. Hallelujah. If you are not the one that, see, you must come to the place of providing. And I'm not just talking about only physical provision. But in the third day church, God is looking for mature people. The type of Joseph who can make Goshen available for the relations to come from, 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 from Canaan. Are you following what I'm saying here? These are the builders of the third day church. These are the sons in the third day church that is coming back 
to marry the church. We are not neglecting Pentecost, but we're going to straighten Pentecost. Are you still there with me? What Pentecost lack we shall provide. Hallelujah. Is anybody following what I'm saying here? It's important and crucial we understand this because your son shall marry thee. So there is a voice going down to Pentecost again. Your son shall do what? Shall marry thee. That means those with authority, those with rulers, with the heart of a shepherd shall return again back to the church and begin to make provisions and begin to make proclamations. To raise the same church, which is the mother church, back to where it's supposed to be. Can you see the assignment that God gave to, to uh, uh, what's this guy? Paul. On the road to Damascus. So I'm taking you from them. And I'm sending you back to them. Can you remember that? Good. That's the same thing. God is raising you. Not for yourself. But for the church. He's taking you out of the church. To send you back to the church. Can I hear an amen to that? That you will be the one to provide. You will be the one to rule. You will be the one to make provision. And put right the things that are wrong. That is the responsibility of the third day church. But what am I trying to make you understand? There's a migration to a higher order, a higher place of understanding, a better understanding of God's dealing with God's workings. And I want to make you understand what we see today in the church is not the end. There is something beyond this. There's a need to move. God bless you.